0: Good evening once again, folks. Welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. This would be the first recording of July, because I think last time we recorded, Rich, it was the, the end of June. So now the first recording in July of uh, 2018, specifically July 7th. So three days since we celebrated Independence Day in uh, in this nation. And some of people would argue maybe we don't have as much independence as we would like to think. And <laughs> Perhaps there's some truth to that. But certainly, uh, with all its faults and warts and problems, we are still blessed to live in a nation where we have relative freedom. Uh, we certainly could not do this, Rich, if we were living in places like China, North Korea, the Middle East, or any other such place. So, uh, while I do agree with many of my brethren that there are huge problems huge problems in America, and certainly our founding fathers, I think if they were to rise from the grave today, they would probably lead another revolution. Um, Certainly we still are blessed to have the freedoms that we do, and uh, may we use them for the glory of God, specifically, uh, so that we make make disciples and preach the gospel as often as we can. So, thank you for being with us this week. Uh, again, this is Voice of Reason Radio. I am Chris Honholz. I am here with my good friend and buddy Richard Story. We uh, look forward to spending an hour with you this week. How you doing, brother? Brother,
1: I'm doing well, better than I deserve, Amen. <laughs> like Amen. we all. But I got to think, and and the thought has crossed my mind. From time to time over the years what you were saying about our founding fathers um it's almost a shame that they were that some of them were not prophets because i truly believe if they could have foresaw into 200 years into their future they would have worded the constitution a lot differently
0: just to be specific about certain things (laughs) no question no question i mean my goodness there was a an another socialist another democratic socialist i think in new york who won a uh, like a legislative seat or a senatorial seat or something like that and ousted a, li- a you know 10 time winning democrat it was like well you're not liberal enough for us so we want the gal that's going to give us free stuff and <laughs> it's like oh, yeah, my word.
1: like hardcore socialist oh I yeah mean, and it was like even you know the most conservative news agencies and and some other information I saw being put out there they were just even the democrats they were all just shocked because you know she was she wasn't even expected to even be in any type of serious consideration and one of the democrats that served with that gentleman talked about that he, he didn't take it serious enough and he didn't get out and do his yeah. you know vote for me kind of politician thing well enough and she just kind of like came out of the blue yeah, and, and unfortunately,
0: I think we're I, seeing a lot more of that. And I don't think
1: that she's even too liberal for most liberal Democrats,
0: based on some of the information I've seen put out. Well, that's i mean—that's just kind of the scary side of it. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I, it's funny, because when you look back at how the nation was founded and the, the language that they used, you go back to things like... Um, uh, the Federalist papers and stuff like that. it gives us a context for why they wrote the things that they did. And there, there, even the things that the debates that surrounded things like the, the Bill of Rights, there were some that said if you create a Bill of Rights, it will be later to be interpreted as though government is the grantor of rights. Don't do that. We've already enumerated in these you know all these other areas, all these sections tell government what they're allowed to do. If it's not in there, they can't do it. So if we add the Bill of Rights, you're going to confuse people, and that's exactly what's happened. Because today there are people like you know certain liberals that say, oh, the, that Bill of Rights is, means that the government is the grantor of rights, and the government can therefore tweak and twist what that means. And it's like absolutely not. That's not what it was intended for. So you're right. I think I think if they could have foresaw. You know what would have happened. Uh, maybe some of these things could have, you know, been d- written differently. But even then, uh, I mean, God gave very clear commandment to Adam and Eve: "Don't eat of this tree." One command, and they still managed to mess that up. So, human beings and sin, being what they are, <laughs> probably we would—it wouldn't have mattered too much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, one good one good thing about our country that um, we we tend to take for granted sometimes is that no matter how idiotic a voice might be it can still be heard and we are allowed to have fun and and enjoy ourselves within the confines of the law Amen. but you you were you were speaking of North Korea and China if we lived there there would be no way you would ever be able to join a 4th of July parade <laughs> dressed as Captain America
0: <laughs> oh you had to go there didn't you you just had to go there uh, well, you know i'm gonna wow what a, and what a way to do it that, man that is a vicious transition man <laughs> Uh, Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I got to break out my new suit. I got to uh, shake hands and and high fives, and then pose pictures with little kids. And had to be very careful where I stepped on that roadway because there were horses about half a dozen floats up. So. It was actually, there was there was some actually, steaming piles where I had to st- sidestep as I was walking up that street.
1: <laughs> actually, tease you because I'm jealous of you. I, I, I would I would get a great kick out of dressing up and and just looking at the looks on children's faces. But I have to wonder, especially given where you live, <laughs> how much weight did you lose and sweat <laughs> during that parade? Not nearly enough. <laughs> Because that costume looks hot, especially under the desert sun on a concrete highway, following behind horses and having to dodge <laughs>
0: landmines. You know the funny thing was is that when we purchased this particular suit, there were two types of material that they could use. One is called cordura, and it's a heavier material uh, it's it's more durable, obviously. But the problem is, is that, you know, and I've, you know, in talking to some of the people who had purchased, you know, costumes made of that material, it's hot. It's it's very hot to wear. It'll hold up, but it's, it you're going to sweat. So we got, uh, we sprung the extra, I don't know, maybe 30, 50 bucks for it. And um, we bought what was called this textured stretch material. And uh, some people were hesitant, I guess, and the you know, some of the guys that, you know, I talked to about this before they used to make a suit out of lycra well lycra if you've ever seen it's kind of like the suits that you'll see um ballet dancers and stuff it's that kind of skin tight clothing the problem with lycra is if you get a thread caught it'll ball up and it'll tear and stuff like that so we were some of us were hesitant to buy the stretch material because we're thinking oh it's gonna be like that but turns out it's it's still a very durable material but it's lighter and in that desert sun i still sweated quite a bit when i got home and <laughs> and took that thing off it did not immediately go back on the hanger some drying air drying had to occur <laughs> but unfortunately did not lose near enough weight <laughs> Well, it looked like you and your whole family. It looked like all
1: of you really enjoyed yourself, and you had a really great time. And that
0: that was that parade was actually on the Fourth of July, wasn't it? Yeah, um, the city of Fernley does put on. I, I, I for all the the faults that this small town has, and believe me, there are quite a few. It does a great job with events like these. You know, we this Fourth of July parade that we do every year, a little two-mile stretch. They put on such a wonderful parade. And then that night, they'll always have the, the fireworks display. Uh, and if you're a listener, by the way, that happens to live in northern Nevada, could you please remember, illegal to fire fireworks unless you have a permit like the folks putting on the display. Please don't burn down my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> we had that happen last year. We had people who just seemed to forget that not that, you know, maybe 10 15 miles away are these massive hills that were ablaze because of wildfires. And then they were just getting those under control when a bunch of geniuses decided, I don't care that it's illegal. It's 4th of July and I want to blow stuff up. And they started catching neighborhoods on fire. So, you know, just if you live in Nevada, it's illegal for you as a person to fire fireworks unless you're on an Indian reservation somewhere or you have, you are part of the crew that is setting up the fireworks that have been contracted. So, stop it! <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think where I live, it's pretty much, you, you, you can shoot shoot them off. There's no real restrictions other yeah. than one of those really, really dry summers where there's a, a burn ban notice and a fire hazard yeah. warning going on. I, I I heard a few, some of our neighbors set off a few fireworks i didn't hear nearly as much this year as i normally do i don't know if if that means that my neighbor's children have grown and and drifted away from doing all that or what the deal is it's just it was a few pop pop pops and a couple of big loud booms and then the
0: next afternoon there was a few more and that was pretty much it yeah i wish we could say that you know you know unfortunately (laughs) there's we got some rednecks out here that seem to think that the bigger the better the bang, you know so um, Lyon County Sheriff's Office, I can tell you what street and probably which house has the really big mortars every year. Um, we might want to pay them a visit. <laughs> I swear they're gonna blow up that neighborhood. Um, if it's against
1: the law out there, where are they buying them? Uh, a they- cu-
0: couple of different ways. You can go over to California. It's not that far. Uh, we We live within an hour and a half of the state line. Uh, so you can get over there and pick them up. But also, we have the the Native American Indian Colony Reservations out here. There's about two or three within you know stone's throw of where we li- uh, of Fernley, and it's just a matter of uh, you know they there that's federally owned land and they have their own laws. And so they, if they want to fire off fireworks, they can, and so they can sell them and they can fire them because technically that's not state in Nevada land. And so that's hmm. fine. You know, go go buy them there. Go get a permit to Pyramid Lake, which is half an hour from where I live and go shoot them off your heart's content. I don't worry. I don't care about that. I'm just getting tired of people trying to burn down Fernley. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: I I did. I I noticed you posted the other day that that you were getting hammered by Andrew Rappaport (laughs) and Matt Slick. And, <laughs> it, that was for Andrew. I, <laughs> that was for Andrew, by the way. <laughs> that was for Andrew. As you can tell, I listened to it, and you did get somewhat hammered. But before we get into that, I think um, you and I both had a congratulations we wanted to send out to our
0: little brother show. <laughs> little brother show. Oh, that you just you just started a whole new feud. <laughs> and they're, they're going to run with that you know it alright uh, our, our good friends over at Theology Driven Scott Hunt won uh, Striving for Eternity's new, newest contest to win one of the preacher Bibles so Scott congratulations I really hope that starting right now you're doing the push-ups and the arm curls because that's a very heavy package heading your way Scott Okay. You, get it. you better reinforce your desk. Um, it, might, it might push it through the floor. So. <laughs> but congratulations. And I'm sorry, Andrew. I don't care what you say. Voice of Reason radio crew had nothing to do with this. There was no Jedi mind powers. There was no Russian collusion. We didn't even know what Scott had entered. <laughs> So we, we are completely free of this, no matter what you claim.
1: <laughs> and I found it interesting. Andrew pointed out that I was ineligible <laughs> to win it, but he didn't mention that while the contest was going on. <laughs> and I, 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 uh-huh. he, he, he was trying to be cute, trying to get me to listen and post comments without telling me. That I was not eligible to win, although I didn't. <laughs> I didn't enter again anyway. But
0: well, yeah, that's you know you, you're a respectable man. You've been blessed. You're not going to try and do it. Andrew is sneaky. He he wants you to share it because that'll get his show out more. But he's not going to let you win because he knows better. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why he called you a loser. And I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I had nothing to do with this. i I've, I've had a busy week. It's, it's just been an insane week. I had nothing to do with any of this. And I get hammered by both him and Matt Slick. Actually, and, I
1: thought Matt was trying to defend you. Well, he sounded I, to me like Matt was actually defending you and and Andrew was was the one hammering after you. And he Andrew went so far as to download our last episode and <laughs> clipped sound bites from it, played it on his show, and I started listening and I heard this voice with this accent come on and I'm like who is that? And I'm like oh me that's my that's that's me. And then I got to thinking with that accent there's it is no wonder I keep running people off from our show because I talk and live in the south. I don't hear an accent. I don't hear an accent from anyone around me. So I guess it was in in proportion of, of my voice with these other three voices, it just really jumped out at me. I actually think my accent is thicker now than it was back during the days of Cross Encounters Radio. <laughs> well, you've had a few
0: more years down there. Maybe it's just rubbed off a little bit more. Actually, if you listen to the show, one of the first things Andrew says is he in reference to me is is you know he brings up my name and Matt's first words are, oh, that loser. <laughs> so everything, that was- everything after that was just him using anything we said to tag Andrew. I don't. Th- <laughs> I thought Andrew was the one that called you a loser. Oh no, Matt! 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 popped that one off right at the beginning, you know, and, and then he goes on to proceed. And talk. Matt kind of embellished the. By the way, if anybody has not listened to the program, go listen to Andrew Rappaport's program because there are. It is rather comical and. That aside from that first part where they're hammering us on Voice of Reason Radio, um, they actually talk about what they did up in uh, Mantee, Utah. And yes, guys, I said Idaho. I'm sorry Matt lives there, and I got that in my head, okay? Sheesh! Give a guy a break. <laughs> but yes, they were up there and they were uh, they were you know sharing the gospel with the Mormon community, and so they talk about that. Excellent program, highly recommended. But it gives you some clue as to why we're giving Andrew so much grief. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, it starts off with that, and in there, Matt talks about how he and I kind of met, and it was uh, I I had been told by um, Ken Cook, who used to work with us on uh, Cross Encounters Radio, Matt was actually about 30 mi- uh, miles away from me. His car had broken down. Uh, it was in a shop. They were stuck in Fallon, Nevada. We went and picked him up, got him something to eat, drove him into Reno so they could pick up the rental car. So, I mean, that's really the extent of what happened. And then later, when he came back to collect the car uh, from Idaho to Nevada, I picked up the car for him, picked him up at the airport, and, and brought him to his car. So, that's... that's a, that's the extent of what we did, and Matt makes it sound like we kind of rescued him in the middle of the desert. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, that was, it, was, it was a neat program, and um, I, I, I'm firmly convinced that mostly what Matt did was just use whatever we did to tag Andrew as an opportunity to tag Andrew himself. I don't think he was necessarily backing us up. It was just an opportunity to go after Andrew. <laughs> but, you
1: know, it, it's interesting, and and we've heard it expressed different ways that you can't force someone to love you Andrew is a great example of that there's no way anyone could ever force someone else to love Andrew you either (laughs) like him or just want to avoid him at all costs
0: this is absolutely true absolutely true and uh Andrew well we kind of like you (laughs) <laughs> we'll just put it there. How's that? <laughs> but uh, anyway, anyway, we really, we really do need to transition. At the, uh, well, the,
1: the, I, Andrew just that just kind of made me think of it. Um, you know, Andrew's really a difficult person to like, much less love. And you know, like I said, <laughs> there's no way anyone could force someone else to love Andrew. But that kind of rolls over into tonight's topic, you know, roundabout kind of way when it comes to going to church. And there's no way we
0: can force someone else to love Christ. Amen. Amen. And that's something I think the American church has a hard time comprehending. Uh, They really seem to neglect Paul's understanding in Romans chapter 3 that um, of our own accord, we do not pursue after Christ. We do not pursue the true God of Scripture. It is God who pursues us. It is God who redeems us. And uh, we talked about it last week, Rich. What the church was and and what it wasn't. And if you guys have not heard these programs, you know we recommend go back the last two weeks. Uh, we, two weeks ago, we did a program on uh, with regards to an article written in the opinion uh, area of Fox News, which was called uh, "I Want You to Quit Church." It was really a uh, Sales pitch for this pastor's new book about quit quit church, which had to do more with hey, get in here, make a profession of faith, get involved in, don't don't be just a, a sitter in the pew kind of thing. And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and which gave a natural transition to last week where we talked about what the church really is. And Rich, when you and I talked about that last week, we kind of we we made an effort to biblically explain that the church is the bride of Christ, it is the body of Christ, it is those whom Christ has redeemed through his shed blood, it's through uh, his redemption, the changing of the heart through the uh, regeneration of the Holy Spirit, those persons who have been born again, who come together for the purposes of glorifying God, worship, edification, ministering of the gifts, the means of grace through baptism and the Lord's Supper, that is what the church is. It is not what so often is promoted within the kind of name it I should say name it claim it, but that's not the right uh that's not the right false church. Uh, this is the false church which says the social church the you know, gospel the social gospel church well even more so the the um bill Hybels, uh, Rick warren uh Madison avenue marketing church you know let's let's grow your church by numbers and do all kinds of little tricks to market a product and that's how we'll make the church grow but it it neglects what the Bible says the church is and it turns pew-sitters and and what the Bible would identify as false believers and goats and and tries to make them feel comfortable so that they'll stay in the pews longer and, uh, and 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 somehow say that that is that is church you know the, let's do lights and and awesome music and let's do less biblical teaching let's do more uh, you know felt needs discussions and that's what the professing church has become very much in American evangelicalism. It's very market-driven as opposed to biblically driven. So we wanted to make that distinction last week because that's what we need to understand when we hear someone like uh, the this gentleman. And I'm trying to be polite when I say gentleman, but it's uh, you know I, I don't have a lot of respect for someone who so utterly misunderstands the word of God. Um, When he says, quit church and do all these great things my way so you can grow your church, um, I don't have a lot of respect for that because that's not what the Bible says. You're rejecting the word of God of what what church is. And it has led so many people into a false belief of what they are, that they belong to Christ. And these are people that will one day stand before God and he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And they're gonna sit there and go, but Lord, we did this and we did that, and we had it we were on this program in this committee and we did these things. And Christ is gonna say, I I don't know who you are. You're not of my sheep. You know, and that's what that's what's tragic about that. Well that leads into our actual topic tonight as to
1: who should go to church. And I think that's something that the mainstream Madison Avenue driven pastors, quote unquote, should actually stop and think about when you know they're coming up with this type of methodology who is church for is is church an open door for anyone and everyone in the world just to come in and and sit and and to you know feel good who should who should actually be in church and um i'll touch on this briefly where did the entire concept of inviting a stranger to church come from or you know Growing up in the South, that was the norm. Invite your family to church. Invite your friends to church. Invite your classmates to church. Biblically and historically, has that been the precedent that the Bible sets when it comes to who should be sitting and attending a preacher's sermon? Right. And, you know, sadly, since the well it was late 19th century early 20th century when american evangelicalism started going off the rails and i did some research and it's far too complex to get into but the brief brief portion of it is and i know charles finney gets a lot of the blame the altar calls and, and and you know bringing the masses in, but he was not alone in that in that time period. No, very it was true. like from 18, 1870 to like nineteen twenty five. That in, that era that era in there, D. L. Moody, um, Billy Sunday, and um, later on Billy Graham, and whether and honestly, I don't think they had bad intentions. I think they had good intentions but they were using unbiblical methods and mm-hmm. getting unbiblical results because one study I read about Billy Sunday when he would go out and invite masses of people in and you know, with the sole purpose of getting them to you know, make a confession of faith or to raise their hand, you know, all those other analogies, that's really that era is really when the entire concept of inviting people to church really came about. Prior to that, it was a very, very strict, not exclusive, but, you know, it was not something commonly practiced from that point backwards all the way to the church in Acts. And to me, that's just another example of how church tradition has formed and shaped American evangelicalism today to the point where I think we really, as Christians, all of us should stop and examine The methodology and the things that the church does and start questioning is this biblical? Are we drifting away from Scripture in what we're doing and how we're conducting church and what we're teaching? Sadly, for a lot of churches, if not most, the answer is yes. They've drifted so far away that it's not a resemblance of church. And you made made this point in your previous statement, talking about the market-driven church Mm -hmm. and the, the bring in the numbers and, and what not and that is not found anywhere in scripture no. and if you're listening to this show I would ask one thing if you do find it biblical to invite strangers, invite family to come to church with the possibility of getting saved I would like for you to sincerely, I would like for you to send me scripture to support that because somewhere in the last 100 years inviting someone to church has become a form of evangelism for most churches yep. i call it i call it the church i call it church invitation evangelism inviting someone to church is not evangelism inviting someone to church can be done in conjunction with evangelism but of in itself inviting someone to church is not evangelism and I'll jump ahead real quick as a pastor and as as friends with pastors I would encourage any pastor listening to this show if you can't take anything else away from this particular episode I beg you to take this away as a pastor if you see a stranger sitting in the pews and you know it's someone they're visiting please make it a point to preach a very concise gospel presentation even if you just have to tack it on at the end of your sermon. But if you see strangers or people at your church that you don't normally see there, please make it a specific point to share the gospel because that may be the only time that they ever hear it. And when we get into the the subject of inviting people to church, I think it overlaps with who should be at church. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I have a few differing opinions on how that's done but I will say I'm not strictly opposed to a to a non-church member ever attending a church but I think it should they should be there for a specific purpose more so than just to check out your lighting or listen mm-hmm. to what your pastor has to say or hear how great your your choir is which are part of the marketing driven plan to to increase the numbers and, and grow your pews type way of thinking and What spurred all of this for me was, it's been a few weeks ago, I was in a social media conversation about evangelism, and the subject of inviting someone to church came up, and I made a comment basically that that was not biblical, and I don't know if the gentleman I was corresponding with, I don't know if he was a pastor or not, but the reply just floored me. And he said, if we don't invite someone to church, how are they ever going to hear the gospel? <laughs> boy. Aye, 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 aye. And that, to me, just sum that statement sums up American evangelicalism so much when it comes to this topic. What do you think, brother?
0: Well, I think you put it right on the head when you said that we're not examining whether or not this is a biblical practice. Uh, Human beings are very funny. If you ask somebody, you know, like go to work and ask them, why do we do a certain thing this way? Why can't we do it this way? You know, just suggest a change. We have this funny way of saying, well, we've always done it that way. As if, well, because we've always done it that way, that means there is no other way to do it. That there's not something that could be more efficient, that there could be more practical, uh, better practice, better in keeping with policy, better in keeping with the law. No, we, we've we always done it that way, so why should we change? And so I believe a great many of us in churches today, when you open the doors to a building and say, this is where we're going to be a church. There are things that we do, we just don't bother to ask scripture, should we do them or how should we do them? For example, you're always going to set up a Sunday school. Why? What is the biblical reason for a Sunday school? You, you know, you're always going to separate the you know the youth and put them in, a, in, in separate rooms, and you're going to have Sunday school teachers. You're going to have snacks, and you're going to have kitty tails. Well, well, what's the purpose behind that? Um, we're always going to have a worship band. Why? What's the biblical reason for that? Why should the band be up front? You know, um, I got into a lot of trouble when I said we should not be applauding. <laughs> At the end of a worship set, because it's not a concert, we're supposed to be worshiping the Lord, and it should be, He is the audience. And a lot of people got mad and said, Well, shouldn't the, uh, the worship team know that you appreciate their music? No, <laughs> that's not what it's for. Uh, we're not, you know, we can tell them and show them our appreciation in so many ways for them. That doesn't mean uh, turning our worship uh, time into uh, a concert. Um, but get people, as you say, rich. Bring chapter and verses. Why that's okay, and and you know, and if the, even if they do, nine times out of ten, it's completely out of context. Um, so there's there's not a lot of justification that I uh, that comes from a biblical stand because I don't think we think biblically, which is one of the things we always try to encourage people to do. Well, I think the the tradition part has
1: overtaken biblical history as mm-hmm. to how, and why, and the way that we do things. And I I found, in researching tonight's topic, I found an article, it was posted two or three years ago, on Christianity Today, and this was written by Ed Stetzer. And um, whether you like or dislike him, this couple of paragraphs, I think, sums up the majority way of thinking when it comes to American evangelicalism. Um, But... It was a rather long article, but these two or three paragraphs kind of sum up the, the overall thinking in it. And in the article, it, it goes on to say, well, <clears throat> excuse me, Welcoming people into the local church should be the natural overflow of a local church's faithful ministry. However, many churches find themselves unfruitful in seeing new people to connect with their congregation. Some people think that that is a good thing. Churches for believers and unbelievers should not be connected to that church. I'm not of the same view. Covenant community, what we often call church membership, is for believers. But Christian community, what we often call attendance, is a place where evangelism should take place. And then it goes on, the lost are waiting for an invitation. Whatever happened to the strategy of simply inviting a friend, a co-worker, or a neighbor to church? According to our research, an invitation to church is still an effective way to reach the lost. <laughs> inviting someone to church is not evangelism. Ed Stetzer, I don't care how many follows you've got and your little blue dot beside your name, <laughs> that is not evangelism. And well. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll let you input, but my, my next portion is leading into the... Evangelism portion of this, and right. I'm going to sub- try to substantiate
0: my stance that church is for believers. Yeah, it, it just it, the one thing that you said. He said, according to our research. Now, Ed Stesser is doing his research via polls, and um, and interviews and stuff like that. He's not doing it from the Bible because he's not quoting the Bible. <laughs> with regard to that. And I, that that goes back to what we're talking about. You said it, something that was very important. Mer- most American Christians today could not tell you a single thing about church history. They, they might know about that Martin Luther pounded a piece of paper onto the doors of Wittenberg. They couldn't tell you what it was about. Uh, I think it was uh, Dr. James White who says most people... Who, idea of church history starts with Billy Graham and I think he's correct so we don't understand from our own history how the church was formed how it grew what the the form of the church why it looks like the way it does today none of those things almost I should say almost none of that is present in most church discussions about evangelism about what the church is about inviting people that's none of those things are considered Look at scripture about how churches were planted. What do you see? Well, on the birth of the church, Peter preached in the open air, hmm, uh, a sermon which, in which 3,000 people were saved. Now, that's not a, an avocation for Billy Graham-style crusade evangelism. It's just saying that he stood up and was obedient to God to proclaim and God saved 3,000 people. The church went about going into the streets, out into the highways and byways, going from to synagogues and preaching. And God added to the church as many as would be saved. We see that in the book of Acts. And then you see things like Paul in, his, uh, in his, his missionary journeys going from area to area, preaching in the open air. And as people came, he sat with them, taught them, and over periods of months and years planted a church... And believers came, and they grew, and those people went out, and that's how the church grew. And then you look at the times of the persecutions. The persecutions came, people would spread. They would no longer be comfortable to be in an area. They couldn't just sit there and grow, so they would be spread out. And the same thing would happen. Well, None of that, Rich, from what we see from a biblical perspective, was you don't see the invitation to church. What you see is the going out and the discourse and the discussion and the preaching and then the people coming together for church. So I think the biblical model, if we're going to talk about evangelism, you do not see in scripture or historically thereafter the invitation model as being the biblical means of evangelism. Well, there's a
1: scripture that I've bookmarked for, for this portion of the discussion on the evangelism side of it. And I'm going to read from Romans chapter 10. I think it's starting in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I think that alone speaks volumes against inviting someone to church with the chance that maybe they'll get saved. Because all of those verbs were action. They were going out. They were sent feet indicating you know actual movement feet was the only means of transportation unless you were you know graced with a with a horse or or I'm not even sure they had buggies back then they had chariots but <laughs> um, I think that's part of the issue just like that gentleman and asked me how are they going to hear the gospel unless they're invited to church well the next portion is okay you invite someone to church how sure are you that it's just going to happen to be a Sunday when the preacher may be speaking on something gospel-related? I'm not one of those that thinks, I think biblically, you know, church is for the bride of Christ. It's for the edifying and equipping and teaching of the saints. And in so doing that, not every sermon is necessarily going to be Sharing the gospel and the means of salvation.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, you listen to, you know, any of John MacArthur's sermons. When he's going expository preaching line by line in the Bible, do you hear a
0: gospel presentation in every sermon that he presents? No. And and that actually, the logical extension of that is the reason, you know, everything points back to the gospel. The gospel influences everything. So when you look at, for example, Paul's epistles, he always uh, is a pattern. You always see him starting with the a gospel theological exposition. Talking about our, uh, how we are saved by grace, for example. And then, in the latter part of the epistle, talking about what you as Christians should therefore do. So, the gospel is present in every epistle, in every place. Followed by what? Commands for Christian living. So, it would make sense that if you are faithfully expositing the, pre- the Scriptures, you're going line upon line, precept upon precept. If you are doing that, then what you are doing is you are giving specific instructions to Christians. Those, those teachings, those scriptural teachings, are for those who are believers. And so it would make sense that you would not necessarily be teaching uh, or proclaiming the gospel every single Sunday. Now, Rich, I think you and I would both agree the Christians need to hear the gospel constantly. We need to be reminded that we are bought by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that our failure to be living up to the standard of holiness that we are called to, even that was paid for at Calvary, praise God. And we need that because it is the motivation to remind us to be obedient to God because of His great love for us and because of His shed blood for us through Jesus Christ. We have been purchased. And so therefore we would be driven to to grow in holiness, grow in righteousness. So we need to hear those gospel presentations, but... A faithful expositor, say like a John MacArthur, would be giving commands and instructions to those redeemed in Christ if you are expositing Scripture. So I would say, Rich, you're absolutely right. You're not going to be able... That's why we have a problem with the market-driven church, because the market-driven church doesn't want faithful exposition. Faithful exposition builds up the existing body. It doesn't make people who come in feel comfortable about being there. So they want to leave. That's why that's a problem with the market-driven church. It has the wrong focus.
1: Well, I'm, I've am i got Matthew 28 pulled up, and it's towards the end of the... I think it begins in verse 19, 18. <laughs> Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It the, um, seems pretty clear. Go therefore. I don't see go therefore and invite them to church. I don't see go therefore and invite them to listen to your great music. I don't see go therefore let them see how beautiful the inside of your sanctuary mm-hmm. is. And disciples, what does disciple mean? It means convert. And that is... Some people say, well, disciple means to teach them. Well, um, if that was, if it just meant to teach people, to teach them about Christ and to teach them about the Bible, it would not include baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That That's not a either or, that's both. You make disciples, you share the gospel, Christ converts them from a, a heart of flesh to a heart of the spirit and they're baptized and then you teach them now based on everything we said to this point at what you know who is the church for and there's you know plenty of scripture to substantiate that but the next question would be okay if church is for Christians are there times when we should be inviting a stranger or a family member to church
0: I would say that is there is nothing in scripture that expressly forbids having say your unbelieving brother for example to come with you to church there's nothing that says that in fact in explaining the gifts of things like prophecy and and tongues, which, by the way, tongues is not a, an ecstatic prayer language that this maybe somehow angelic. It, that idea of praying with the tongues of angels has nothing to do with the idea of having some strange language that's unearthly. Uh, but when Paul is talking about the gifts of tongues, he's talking about an earthly language that you don't know. And by miraculous gift, in the in the in this prayer meeting, uh, as he's discussing it it's this idea that someone who does not speak, say, Greek or Hebrew, hears in a language that they are familiar with, and yet the person praying should not be able to speak that. So but when he's exp- explaining, for example, the gifts of prophecy, the uh, the telling of the Word of God, the proclamation of the Word of God, he actually puts that above tongues, by the way, for those of you who are charismatics, just to let you know. Um... He says that the gifts of prophecy are for the church that the teaching, the fourth uh, uh, telling of the Word of God, the exposition of the Word of God, that's for the church. And then he says that prophecy and forgive me as I as I'm paraphrasing this prophecy or, uh, tongues are for the unbelievers. So when you have a prayer meeting and an unbeliever comes in and he hears the tongue that says something to him about the God to whom we are praying. My word, he's like my word. I can hear you praying in my tongue. So the idea that an unbeliever can be present at the time when there's a gathering of the saints and prayers are being held, and that God at this time when the when the gifts were being used in such a way as to be the emph- uh, as to be the not the emphasis but the uh, kind of the the certific- stamp of certificate that says this is what's happening here is true it's it's God's God's authority on it it's of certi- it, it it speaks to the message that they are the certifies the message that they're giving that gift to be spoken for that unbeliever to hear he it, it's a it's assigned to him and so the idea that an unbeliever could be in the midst was not Paul something Paul was saying don't ha- they can't be there but we do know that there are aspects of church membership that requires you to be a member. So if you have someone who's present that's not uh, that's not a believer, that's not like kick them out the door. But the gifts are for the church. The preaching is for the church. Uh, the, the giftings uh, in which we are to edify one another are for the church. The idea that therefore bringing unbelievers into the church as a specific means of evangelism, Rich, I'm I'm in a total agreement with you. Uh, While I see no barring of bringing an unbeliever in, everything about church is for the believer. Well, I'm going to kind of tweak
1: what you said just a little bit and hopefully give our listeners something to think about. When Paul made those statements, okay, first, where And what format and what location did Paul share the good news about Jesus Christ? He went into the synagogues. Within the synagogues, you would have Gentiles that were either in the process of being converted or Gentiles that had already converted to Judaism. That's what we see happening on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. All these Jews and proselytes... You know, from all the different parts of the world, when the, when Peter and the apostles spoke in tongues, all the proselytes and the Jews from different nations heard them speaking in their own language. It does not imply at any point in that portion of Acts that there were non-Jews or non-Jewish believers there, because in several of Paul's epistles... He addresses them as to Jews and those who fear God, meaning the proselytes, those that had converted from whatever other religion or nation to becoming to the Judaic religion. And then also, when Paul went into each town, the first place he went was to a synagogue. After that, he would go out and preach the gospel on the streets, in the marketplace, in homes, he was always going to where they're at. I think in that that's one of the scripture references that I came across when people were trying to defend the notion of inviting people to church. That was one of the references that kept coming up time and time again was what you just read and were what you were quoting. But I have to wonder, okay, knowing Paul or knowing what we can know about him through the scriptures, would he have been somewhere that he was just allowing anybody in, or was it more probable that this was something occurring outside, like an open-air meeting or an open-air event that strangers were listening in, or was it more probable that these people that he's addressing and hearing the prayer in their own language were more or less more likely proselytes to the Jewish religion? I mean there's no clear cut yes or no in that portion of about that but I want to throw this out there for people to consider in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 it goes on and starting at verse 14 it says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers well yes I know that most people translate that into to marriage or to partnership but it goes on to say, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? That word fellowship is very important. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. By inviting non-Christians to church, how are we adhering to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually agree with you on this. The, the problem with what we're seeing in the practice of inviting people to church today is that is in and of itself what we're saying is church is where you bring the unbelieving world in to get them converted so we are turning the building where we are as believers to come together and worship we're turning that into a place where we are entering into as you would say a partnership with the unbelieving world you come here we will preach a message that you want to hear that will attract you to Christ, and then you make a profession. It's kind of this this deal we, get, we make. And maybe that sounds simplistic, maybe that sounds offensive, but really, I believe in reality, Rich, that's what we're doing, is that we are entering into, if you are following this market-driven mentality, it, that it's all about the church invitation, because that's where we're going to hook them. That's where we're going to get them hooked on Christ, we're going to give them something that makes them desire Jesus, and that's where they make the profession of faith. So, I agree, it's an entering into a partnership with a world that says, well, we hate Jesus, so what are you going to give us that makes us want to be with Him? And I think that practice in and of itself is not a Biblical one for the very reasons you're talking about. Can an unbeliever be present? Yes! If if you uh, talk to your brother or your sister or a co-worker about the things of Christ and they want to learn more, is it okay for them to be present so they can learn? Absolutely! I don't believe there's any prohibition for that but the way it's being practiced Rich this idea of you just invite you, uh, you you tell the unbelieving world, come to church, and we will cater our system around them, that's uh, entering into partnership with darkness because that person is not in, of Christ. And so that's a problem. And the invitation system itself is a problem. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, in researching this subject... I, and I looked at it from or I tried to approach it from both angles, inviting people to church and is that biblical and not inviting strangers to church. Believe it or not, more often than not, what I found was there was multitudes of articles and courses and classes on how to invite someone to church, teaching you how to approach a relative and invite them to your church, how to use that, to get them into the church so they might hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. More times than not, it was never mentioned to use that in conjunction with right. sharing the gospel. But we, we both know that the amount of time it would take for me to approach you, and even no matter how shy or timid I might be, the amount of time it would take me to sit down and talk to you and tell you about our worship program or our music and invite you to come check out our church, in that same amount of time, I could have shared the gospel with you. And in my viewpoint, if we're inviting someone to our church and they're not saved, it should always be in conjunction with sharing the gospel with them. And they should have heard it from you long before they ever stepped foot through your church doors. Absolutely. And if, you, and if you're inviting people to come to your church hoping that they might become a member of your church, and you know that they belong to another church, and you know that this person professes to be a Christian, all you do then is is becoming a poacher. You're poaching off of someone else's church congregation, trying to get them to join your congregation, and that's definitely not biblical.
0: Amen. Yeah, I think that that's the big issue here. You know, the... The people that come to church, when we, we look at, for example, you go to First Corinthians, and and there's that discussion about the gifts and the and the prophecy and the, uh and and the gifts of tongues. Paul says, to him, look, I'd rather speak ten words of prophecy than thousands of words in tongues. Why? Because the gift of prophecy was the preaching of the word of God to the people of God. So, the whole point of the gathering of the body of Christ, that the whole point of coming to church. Is that the body of Christ, who is the church, is being edified, is being, you know, is glorifying God, is worshiping God, is practicing the means of grace? Um, we're doing all those things as a church. So the idea where you take that and you go, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to set that over here somewhere, and now we're going to turn that the 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 ch- the building where the church is supposed to be gathering. And we're going to make it some sort of recruitment center, and your only job as a Christian now is just to extend an invite is an unbiblical practice. There's there's nothing in Scripture that we see in how uh, how we are commanded to share the gospel, uh, or excuse me, in our command to share the gospel. There's nothing about that shown. There's nothing in the historical accounts of anything within the church where you see that done. There's nothing. Uh, in church history that indicates that, until we get into in more recent times. And w- everything that the Bible says about church is about the edification of the saints, about building up, it's about strengthening, it's about glorifying God. Nothing about the practice of what goes on in the church has anything to do with invite people to get hear a message to get saved. Now, I would say, like, for example... It's common knowledge, and at least in America, on Christmas and Easter, you're going to have a full house. Why? Well, everybody feels obligated to go. It's the birthday of Jesus. It's the day he's resurrected, so we're obligated to go. If you're going to do that, Rich, I agree with you. Pastors, please, please, please don't preach a softball message about the gospel. Preach the gospel in its unadulterated form that these people must hear that they must understand that they are condemned that they are sinners before God and that they have a uh, a righteous savior who paid uh, the sin debt and you know through repentance and faith a person can be redeemed and born again preach a sound gospel message you know uh, you know con- consistently preach the gospel throughout your your messages throughout the year because you're going to have people who are coming to you for the first time, maybe they've transitioned from a church where they thought they were a Christian and they come and they hear you preaching the gospel solidly for the first time and they genuinely get saved. So I think that should happen. You know, we should, you know, we shouldn't freak out if a unbeliever walks in the door or a new face walks in the door, especially if it's somebody who's professing Christ but not necessarily living in that manner because, you know, the fruit is not there, but we should be We'd be willing to have them there, but the understanding should be this church is for Christians. And one of the things that I think is amazing about how much we've compromised on that, Rich, is how often we hear in the news, well, so-and-so person is suing because they've lost their job because they got pregnant out of wedlock. And the church made it clear or the institution made it clear that you are to, you know, be practicing what the Bible says about, you know, marriage and monogamy and all these things. And how, you know, and everybody gets judgmental. How dare this church or how dare this Christian institution do this? And that compromise that we've made by saying, well, we're gonna make, we're going to make it all about the unbelievers and we've not emphasized the holiness and the teachings of Christ and the commands of Christ. That, I think, is evidence of why we see that happen. I think the world should be able to look at the church and go, look, we don't like these guys, but they at least believe what their their Bible says about their institution. <laughs>
1: you know? I agree with that, brother. Maybe next week we could continue on this subject and, and cover the what happens when the church lets the world in because I think that's what we see today more often than not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately what you and I absolutely agree on is that the church is the body of Christ, and the gatherings on Sunday or Sunday evenings, Sunday night, or uh, excuse me, Wednesday nights, or throughout the week, however you're doing it, its emphasis should be the body of Christ comes together. It's not about attracting in unbelievers through some message or some invitation system, because everything about scripture points back to it is that gathering is for the body of believers to worship together. And it's not about bringing in unbelievers. And, I, and if your emphasis is to bring in unbelievers, Rich, I think you make a good point. There's a partnership going on with the world then. We're going to allow you guys to come in so that you might guys might join our club. And so we're going to tailor it to you. And that's a partnership that the Bible does not command us to do. And actually, I think by everything that we see taught, it, that would actually be... In contradiction to Scripture, and and very likely uh, false teaching, if we begin to push that issue further, especially when you have so many churches that put so much emphasis on it's about you know we're going to recruit people in here, and if you want the church, if you want to get built up, and, and you want to get fed, and you're a big fat baby, and we want you out of here. Well,
1: also in today's world, I think people or churches and pastors should be extremely careful if they do invite strangers in. I saw an advertisement in our local newspaper no more than two months ago. They were having a revival, and it was a half-page newspaper's article, not article, but advertisement about the revival. We invite everyone to come. That, the problem with that, especially in today's world,
0: yeah.
1: as deviant as some people are, that stranger you see coming in, sitting in the pews, he may be there, you know, scouting out his next potential abduction victim yeah. or whatever. I mean, there are so many dangers in today's world when it comes to that. And I think there should be a lot more um, caution exercised when it comes to certain things. And that's why I said, especially if, if, you take nothing else away from this episode. I hope that you, especially if you're a pastor, you take away this: that if you do have visitors sitting in your pews for a particular service, make sure to preach the gospel because that may be the only time they ever hear a clear, concise gospel
0: presentation. Amen. Amen. So, folks, uh, you know it, this is one of those subjects that we can—we don't intend to step on toes. That's not what we're intending to do, but whenever you go sacred cow tipping, you're going to step in, in some mess. Um, and so this is one of those sacred cows of American evangelicalism, the invitation system, inviting people to church, as if that in and of itself is evangelism. Rich is absolutely correct. Evangelism is us as Christians going forth and proclaiming the evangel, the good news. We have a duty and an obligation. We were saved because someone proclaimed the gospel to us. Whether it was because somebody gave us a Bible, somebody gave us a gospel tract, somebody sat down and went through it line by line with us, whatever it was. Maybe you had godly parents who raised you and taught you the gospel day in and day out. And that's what brought you to Christ. That is our duty. That is our command. Now everybody's going to have their part to play. Not everybody needs to be on the street corner with a bullhorn. In fact, there's a great many people that should not be on the street corner with a bullhorn. But that's a separate topic for a separate shelf. Um, but you know, all of us have an opportunity. We don't need to wait for open doors. The doors exist. You know, Jesus told his uh, his disciples, pray for you know the Lord of the harvest to send you know people into the harvest because the you know, the fields are white. They're ready to to be harvested. We need those uh, obedient Christians. Evangelism is not a gift. Evangelism is a command. We are commanded. And if we neglect that duty, then we are neglecting our obedience to Christ. And it's something we all need to repent of. Do do you need to be someone who goes out every single week with a a pocket full of tracks? Well, that's between you and God to figure out. But, you know, there are a great many people who would help you to understand that there's a need for biblical evangelism. And it's not just, well, God has a wonderful plan for your life. In fact, Ray Comfort has a great book by that title, uh, God Having a Wonderful Plan for Your Life, that actually utterly destroys that as an evangelism technique, and, and actually talks about what the true gospel is. Highly recommend it. What is it? FreeWonderfulBook.com, I think, Rich? Something like that? I, th- I think so. You can go to LivingWaters.com,
1: and I'm sure you can find the link to it. Um, you can purchase it. You can download it. Listen to it. There's several ways and formats that they make that available,
0: and they are free. You can actually get a free hard copy of the book if, if you so desire. Yeah. I mean, it's there, a wonderful... Opportunity and that same uh, that that same ministry, Living Waters, Ray Comfort and and, and the men uh, and men and women down there, godly people that want to equip you to share the gospel, make use of it. Um, But at the same time, pastors, here's one for that pastor or that person that was talking to Rich. I think you were a pastor. If you want to ask the question, well, how then are they going to hear the gospel? Here's a simple answer. Equip your body to preach the gospel to anyone. Teach them to be obedient to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to go out and make disciples. You teach them. And guess what, Pastor? If you train your your fellowship to get together regularly, to go out and share the gospel, guess what you now have time to do? You now have time to preach the word and equip your people to be obedient to Christ. The the weight of evangelism is now off your shoulders. You have your duty. You can share the gospel wherever you choose because God has given you that. But you're now free. Here's an amazing thing. You are free from the burden of having to do a, let's find a catchy message this week that might sound good to an unbeliever and, and get them saved. Guess what? You can just preach the word of God. How much weight is off your shoulders now, because you're trusting in what God's word says that you're equipping your people to go out and do the work of discipleship. That what an amazing gift that is to you, because now you can be a better student of the word and a better teacher. So consider that, pastor, rather than you know putting the burden all upon yourself to preach an evangelistic message and and giving your congregation the week off to not do anything but giving an invite how about equip them and if folks if you're attending a church and you really want to invite that neighbor by all means if you want to have them come with you that's okay but understand you have an obligation first you as a professing Christian share that you know that that scary message of the gospel and you can do it in so many ways if they're asking you about church talk to them about why you go you have this amazing savior who redeemed you because you were a foul loathsome rebel on his way to hell and Christ broke through that and redeemed you because he showed you who you were and that there was only one means of salvation and that was him who died for you you can do that you can do that can't you that's just part of the conversation. You can make it that easy. But Rich, we don't want people to walk away from here thinking we all, are, we're, all, we're, all we're concerned about is just getting rid of this this silly invite thing that we don't like because you know you guys are legalistic and we, you want us to no, we don't want that rich. We want people to go, we have an amazing savior. Why aren't we going out and doing this? And then the bodies that come to that church. They're going to be the bodies that the Holy Spirit has indwelt and has brought into fellowship with other believers. Now, how amazing is that, Rich? Well, that's the whole point. As a Christian, our first and
1: foremost thought should be the gospel. Um, I won't go into the details because we're out of time. But I beg you, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you have a website, or you're a Christian and you blog or you're a Christian with a podcast site I beg you please provide a gospel presentation somewhere that's easy to find on your web presence there are so many that do not do this they neglect to have a gospel a gospel presentation they may talk about church they may teach different lessons they may you know do all these wonderful things but if you do not have a solid gospel presentation on your web presence, you are greatly neglecting an opportunity to help get the gospel out there, especially if the word gospel is in the title of your ministry.
0: Amen. <laughs> Amen. Oh, thank you for being with us this week, folks. We are so grateful. Uh, thank you for the time and, that you give to listening to us, even if it's just a, a podcast you download to. Listen to you on the way to work or keep you awake at work, as one of our listeners does. Um, I, I would think it would put you to sleep, but hey, Sean, it's you know if it works for you. Um, but <laughs> but uh, we're grateful. Thank you, thank you for listening to us. Our only hope, as we always say, is two things: number one, did we glorify God, and number two, did we build up our brethren? That's our only hope for this program, and if that's what we've done, grateful. Of course, if you guys always have issues or concerns about what we have to say, feel free to write us. voiceofreasonradio of Reason Radio at gmail.com, or you can go to slave to the king.com and uh, hit the contact us tab and get a hold of us there. And of course, the links to our, our social media are also on the website. So
1: let me interrupt you, brother. Sure, go ahead. Since you just gave the contact information, I came across this the other day. And I'm going to put this out there for our listeners. If this is something you would like to hear Chris and I discuss, please let us know. Because if it is, he and I will get into it and research it in more detail. But I came across this thing the other day. And at first I thought it was a joke. And then I hoped it was a joke. But it was a company providing sermons for pastors. Mm. For a fee, they would write your sermon for you. Um, They they give out all these great, you know, resumes for the people that work for them. But basically, as a pastor, they were advertising, if you're tired or running behind or, you know, all these other excuses, we will write your sermon for you. Is that something that you guys would like to listen to us discuss as to whether a pastor should pay to have someone else
0: write their sermon for them? Yeah, that would be an interesting topic. <laughs> I, I, I can already I can already think of the answer to that one. It, would, it, really, it might be a real quick show the way I'd answer it. But anyway, we'll let we'll we'll give you that that one to to get to us back on, see if they'd be interested in it. Uh, but thank you for being with us this week. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts, concerns, suggestions, questions. And if you got snarks with us, just be polite and as Rich said earlier, bring your Bible verses in context please <laughs> and, uh, and and we'd be more than happy to discuss it with you so alright Rich any last thoughts before we close it out tonight just thank you for joining us and make it a point to
1: share the gospel at least once a day even if it just means that you leave a track
0: somewhere for someone to find brother amen amen alright folks well thank you for being with us we look forward to seeing you next time good night God bless we'll see you then